a friend of mine was reading Schopenhauer 30 years ago. And one of the things is it is bad today will be worse tomorrow and so on until the worst of all or something like that, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Or at the party, you think that you were among noble, among a noble company. But in fact, the real attendees of the party are compulsion, pain, and boredom or something like that. It's just, you know, it's like if you hate everything right. and you're 19, it's just like, it's perfect. Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you are listening to Slee Rickets. A quick note for any of you who live in the Triangle area, I'm going to be at Flyleaf Books this Thursday, uh, tomorrow, I guess, according to the, I guess this, this is released on Wednesday, it should be tomorrow. I'm going to be interviewing Alan Shapiro, who's got a new book out called Proceed to Check Out. So there's a signing at 5.30, and then the talk starts at 6 p.m., uh, he's going to read some poems. I'm going to interview him. I'm not totally sure what we're going to talk about. I have some ideas, but uh, I always enjoy talking to Alan, and it was my conversations with him and Jonathan Farmer that largely inspired this podcast. So uh, if you like this, then you will, I imagine, like that. So come to Flyleaf Books if you are in the area, 6 p.m. Thursday, April 14th, probably tomorrow if you're listening to it the day it comes out. If you listen to it later in the week, then you fucked up uh, and already missed it. But I hope hope, uh, hope I to see some of you there and I hope I have some smart questions to ask. I really don't, I'm really very underprepared for this. My guest this week is Joshua Megan. I never in the four hours we talked actually remember to ask him how to pronounce his last name. I never remember to ask any of my guests how to pronounce their last names except for James Nguyen, apparently. But I think... I think it's Joshua Megan or Mehegan. He is, in any event, one of my very favorite living poets. I have admired his work for a long time, long before I had any correspondence with him. Uh, and I really only got to know him through this podcast, but he is a truly brilliant and wonderful poet. I mean, his his poems are, are real killers. And they're really just, these are not poems people share because they like him or they think doing so will help out their careers. These are poems people share with one another because they fucking break your heart. So I, I knew I wanted to talk to him, if only because he's written so many of the poems that I, I love most out of, uh, out of people writing today. He has two books, uh, The Optimist and Accepting the Disaster, and he is also the poetry editor at Root Quarterly, which I, I only recently learned about, but it's a magazine dedicated to uh, Philadelphia. Let me read the about page because it's a, it's all it's a Philadelphia art and ideas from Philadelphia is their slogan, and and I think they're kind of like the like I think they're styling themselves after like a like a lot of New York publications that are that are technically based in New York, but but are really kind of aimed at a wider audience. So Josh public, uh, Josh edits the poetry in there, and I don't know what else is in there, but it could be something interesting. They have a stylish website, if nothing else, Root Quarterly. So I was supposed to talk to 
Josh today about a, an essay he recommended called Poetry and the Microphone by George Orwell. It's a really smart, uh, fascinating essay that has a lot of application to podcasting. Today, we just never got around to it. <laughs> so instead, we talk about a number of other things. This ends up being a fairly crunchy, nerdy poetry-specific episode. Uh, I should clarify that we we talk about Shane a couple times. Shane is Shane McRae and Maury, uh, who is Maury Creech. Uh, at the very beginning, we are talking about Alyssa Gabbert and her piece on Auden recently in the New York Times. And then, uh, oh, uh, because the audio was a little fuzzy at times, uh, Joshua reads from a novel, an Orwell novel at one point called Keep the Aspidistra Flying, which which he has very strongly recommended to me and which I, I have bought and do plan to read and, and probably will talk about on the show because it seems like a lot of fucking fun. So as I said, we talk about a number of things. I have a ton of extra tape from this conversation and I I will, I think I will will try to release a bonus later on that is just a bunch of other stuff we talked about that had nothing to do with poetry, including uh, the horror movies and what makes for a good one, which which uh, Josh is, is also very into. So this is uh, Joshua Megan, author of Accepting the Disaster and uh, all around uh, poetry, weirdo, brilliant guy, and a lot of fun. <laughs> A lot of fun to have a very meandering conversation with. Let's get to that right now. I mean, that my impression with where she's written elsewhere on Touched on Forum is that she, like most poets and people writing criticism today, have a a you know a glancing knowledge of it, but don't have any don't have any feeling for it don't have any ear for it a lot of uh, like famous new formalists don't have any ear for it so i you know i mean yeah, if i'm well. serious like uh <laughs> that's actually i was like what can i what can i suggest talking about that is general enough so that i won't fuck myself completely <laughs> um and yeah. uh, i thought that's a good a good thing to talk about because i don't care if i alienate new formalists um and right. the ones that i alienate are my friends already so you know and they also know you know i have friends who a couple of friends who kind of play, you know, it's, you could say it's loose. I think they wouldn't say it's loose. They would say something else that they're, yeah. you know, they, they, uh, that they uh, observe the fact that modernism happened or something like that. And I sure. don't, but I don't agree with that, but, uh, but that might be what they think in their, in their soul. Most people just do a shitty, what they think of as a more interesting version of it. That's loose. Right. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. some people do the two, the two lockstep, version where they never heard of you know rhythmic modulation or something right. you know so, well so i don't know there are a few people five or six people who seem to understand well i don't mean to you know yeah, make yeah, a yeah. club that i you know no. I, have to... I was thinking also of, that maury is somebody who has gotten more formal as he's gone along yeah uh, yeah oh that's true his first book is almost not I don't think there's anything in it that's real. Maybe there's one thing. There's there's one. Real. There's at least a sonnet that's sort of a that is recognizably that, even if it's kind of loose. But yeah, I mean, it, it he really like steadily becomes more and more. And even like as he writes more poems that are metrical, the the meter seems to get a little tighter. The the rhymes get less slant, uh, which is which is unusual, just because it tends to go in the. I guess we're, we're, we're used to thinking of it going in the opposite direction. Like uh, the the fudging runs. I mean, I don't mind off runs. I like off run if you if it's done well. But it seems to me that most people are. Again, it's just like, well, let's 
invoke it so that we can prove that we're too cool to do it or something like that you know um anytime somebody rhymes like forgive me i think i actually forgive me if i say something offensive i think uh i think you maybe did this once i probably have done this at least once or something but as i get older i start to not like it but um rhyming actually i think there are contexts where you can do it like langston hughes has some ballads where i think it's okay and i haven't said what it is yet um is where like rhyming what rhyming a an s verb with a non s you know like walk i hate that i can't stand that okay okay so you haven't done it that's good if i've done it it was it was not i i uh i i apologize for my past sense but no i I, that drives me crazy i can't stand it what what is the divide because i know I know like certainly among like singers and rappers and, and people maybe who, who take from that and from spoken word, there's a an affinity for assonant rhyme and especially like assonant feminine rhyme. And then it seems like, is it just among sticks in the mud like us that that it's consonant rhyme almost exclusively? That that like that you would you would, you know, far rather You'd far rather substitute vowels than than like add an s or add a slight imprecision to the consonant somewhere. Is, well, is that just I mean, a new formalist thing or what? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think like most people I can think of who think of themselves as writing metrical poems, if they rhyme, you know, if they're unsavvy career-wise enough to rhyme, they tend not not to really do the rhymes always, you know? Sometimes people do, or, you know, so maybe, maybe it's your regular ornamental rhyme, but it's also, I remember once a very uh, well-known poet who's now elderly, who used to teach at the 92nd Street Y. I took a class with this person and she was talking about rhyme one of my poems that she, she was she was noticing the rhymes in it and talking about how much she loved them and it was a piece of blank verse so i really i mean it sounds like a lie but it's right. just true i'm not a particularly well, i'm certainly not politically conservative but i'm also not i don't even think of myself as aesthetically i know i know everybody else would but the way that i got into this was really like contrarianism when i was 21 or something you know yeah. uh like okay what are these people doing in my MFA program? They don't seem to have any idea what a line is. I don't either. So let me look into the various ideas, you know, of what a line is. And I did, and I started kind of trying to do it and just got maybe zealously or in a doctrinaire way, brief, uh, or maybe not briefly, maybe for a couple of years or something, sort of a zealot about, you know, like meter cop type of thinking and, you know, uh, rhyme cop type of thinking. But Eventually, I, I don't think you can stay that way and understand what versification is for. I don't think a lot of people do. I don't think people know what it is or what it's, you know, this, this yeah. troubles me. So t- like when I talk to Ryan about meter, I, I feel, I mean, talking to Shane about meter, like I, I have so little uh, in the way of equipment for discussing it. For me, it's almost always just a matter of ear. I mean, I certainly, I count, you know, I scan, I don't just do it all, you know, I don't do it without counting in any way, but I, you know, and I have a number of rules of thumb as you, you have to, as you, you know, when you practice something like that, but I don't know that I could make any kind of coherent statement about meter. I certainly never feel, you know, with a few little, little kind of cute exceptions where you have, you know, you add or you drop a foot for one reason or another, but I, I, I don't feel ever like I'm able to join in conversations about making rhyme mimetic of 
meaning, which which like Ryan's really big on, or not Ryan, I'm sorry, making meter mimetic of, of the denotation of the line. I, I, I mean, for me, it always just comes back to like, how does it sound? Does it need to slow down a little bit here? Does it need to get a little rougher here? Like my contribution to his work is almost always just fiddling with something that sounds a little funny rather and whereas he can provide like commentary and explanation. To whatever extent he thinks uh, metrical, meter or metrical variation is somehow uh, denotative. What I mean, it would be better for me to ask him, I guess, except that yeah. this is a podcast. So, right. Yeah, I mean, like, he, what, uh, yeah, I mean what he, he will he will use substitutions to reflect a rising or falling, you know, that's happening descriptively in the poem. I mean, a little bit like what uh, Pope does in uh, what is it essay on snake dragging it's whatever I can't it remember. So yeah he'll, he'll sort of enact things like that in the line which i always just feel is it just always feels a little bit beyond me he is probably has a little bit less of an emphasis on the sort of the immediate experience of the reader which is almost entirely how i think about poetry he he's a little more cerebral he's certainly like way more scholarly than i am but yeah i mean he's he i think comes to it from wanting to make something beautiful, wanting to make something that sounds good, wanting to make something that's, that's you know, that's exciting and interesting and, and memorable. Between the two of us, we're aware of a lot of differences, but from a distance, we probably look, you know, more or less the same. I feel like it's a, it's a good way to create indirect meaning or something like that. But yeah, I, I was worried that you were going to say something about like, oh, this sounds like a galloping horse or something like that. But that's, I wouldn't think Ryan would go there probably. But yeah, uh, I mean, it tends to be a little more sophisticated than that, but certainly there is an element of my mimesis in, in, in at least in some cases, which I, I never, you know, I feel that way about about um, like classical music. When people t describe classical music as enacting something that it's about, I always that always feels very bizarre to me that I it doesn't because I, I don't if I want it's sort of like like honestly like um, the old meaning of con I feel like concrete poetry now has a new meaning, but like poems that look like pictures. I feel like if I wanted to look at a picture, I'd look at a fucking painting. If I wanted to like hear sound effects, if I wanted to hear like a horse galloping or that, you know, I'd, I'd listen to that. I'd watch a movie, you know, if I, if I want to hear music, I want to hear music. So th that always feels a little bit strange to me, but I know they're just like, there are so many books about meter that I know there's a lot more to talk about than I'm able to talk about, but I, I feel like I- Those are terrible though. <laughs> well, they are, they're really terrible. <laughs> Well, that's one thing. Okay, so uh, as a way into uh, a discussion, one thing that I totally disagreed with. Please, yeah. Uh, I don't, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm not wrong. If I am, then we're just in perfect agreement about everything. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, there's the fussle. I, I can't stand fussle. I love oh. fussle, but not that book. That book I don't like. I like I like his World War One book. I like his book Class, which is funny. I've heard that's you know, great. Yeah. That. It's very funny. It's probably not uh, okay anymore, but it's it's like uh, you know. So, I mean, well, I don't know. Maybe people don't seem to care about class that much. I don't know, but no. um, I, I don't know. It's 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 glib in a way that nothing is allowed to be glib. Anymore, you know. So um, he was a very smart guy. I mean, I met him one time actually at the conference, the Pennsylvania conference, and uh, he was he was very strange. And somebody asked him a question about prosody, and he said. I don't know. I I stopped thinking about that years ago or something like that, which is funny because it was a kind of a prosody oriented uh, conference. But um, I mean, he was being, being given an award for prosody. Was it, so? Was that just he was just a like a polymath and he just sort of did, like picked up that topic and then put it back down again? I guess I don't know. But I, if he was, I wouldn't. I I think that 
his ear is terrible uh, or was terrible. I mean, I, the, the examples he gives and scans, it's like another universe. I mean, there's yeah, some yeah, room yeah. for subjectivity, obviously, but it's... Um, right. No, I, I, I read it about 15 years ago and it was it was really the, the, the first form textbook I read. So that's, I think that's how I, that's why I think of it, but I don't, I don't really have any like thoughtful, informed opinion of it. So yeah, I mean, if I, I don't know if I, what I would think if I went back to it today, but uh, yeah, it just, it was like, it helped me get a, get, just get in the door and start thinking about it. I mean, it, it did the same, I think, you know, I, I tend to flip through things like that. I, you know, don't necessarily read them all the way through. I, maybe a couple of them I have. And I also went back to school to try to get a PhD and thought, Oh, I, this is what I'll write about. So I did, I wrote lots of papers, long papers that I couldn't, this will sound like humble bragging or something. It's not I, because it would cause me a lot of pain, a lot of pain, a real like psychic pain was trying to write something that was like a college paper now oh God, because, yeah, yeah. Uh, because, it, because it was like, it was like, just a nightmare, like writing a 50 page college paper or something like that. You know, it's, it was just like completely out of bounds. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like so, the, the MLA scholarly article kind of stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but I was miserable. taking it too seriously. Like I was writing for a real journal or something, you know, anyway, so I did lots of prosody stuff and which was really popular. I'm not kidding, but um, <laughs> uh, stuff I ended up reading. I don't know. In my life, I read a, a bunch of these things. I read parts of them, some Sainsbury. And actually you were talking about the Earn Malley hoax. I think he's a very good, uh, I, I, like I agree with him, the, um, James McCauley, oh. uh, the, the book first. Uh, versification. Versification. Okay. By, okay. The James McCauley. McCauley. And uh, that's good. It's a very thin, you know, it's like a good, a good size to right. not alienate somebody who doesn't know if they want to do it or not. So you, it's good to recommend to people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then there's uh, all the funds and how you say thing, which I think is like exhaustive and really good. I mean, it's like yeah. really, a number of people have recommended that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great book. The thing that I think people miss entirely is that there's a difference between meter and rhythm. 75 years ago, Everybody knew what everybody else was talking about, including people who wrote mostly free verse, probably, you know, were, were like they understood, like everybody was on the same page, so to speak, to use a terrible cliche. But in some way, you know, they might have thought about it differently or talked about it differently. But, you know, you could probably have a conversation with somebody who wrote a very different kind of poetry from you and you, you would understand, you would each understand what the other meant just because you shared some kind of history or something um and maybe some practice but now you, it really doesn't work anymore this stuff was not codified in any way that seems to stick with people um so you have everybody i mean you, you're saying like you haven't read enough to talk about it in a in an intelligent or an intelligible way or something that's i don't think that's true i don't i think the more you read the worse it is because everybody disagrees about tiny little you know things and there are, seem to be different theories about what you know, how to reckon a line of a verse or whatever, but people miss the fact that you can have a line that the def by definition, well, you have two, two, two heavy syllables next to each other. One of them's a beat, one's not. Right. Because, you know, in other words, spondies and pyrrhics, okay, so you've, I'm sure you may not have an opinion about this, but I do, you know, like, uh, I think that there's no such thing in English as a spondy or a pyrrhic, really. The, I, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to, I tend to say that, I mean, not that I go around scanning lines all that much anymore, but, uh, yeah, my, my, my ear says like there, there's something that's close enough to call it, but one of them is always dominant. Yeah. I mean, like uh, if there's a pause between them, right. Because your ear doesn't take much to throw your ear so that you can start over, you right. know, yeah, yeah. there are weird tricks like, um, 
my heart aches and a drowsy numbness pains, you know, my heart aches, pause yeah. and a drowsy numbness pains where you've got a second foot yeah, trochee, yeah, yeah. really like reality. It's a second foot trochee, but it doesn't register that way. Right, you know, it's right, like a trick right, or yeah, something. Yeah. You know, there are, there are other lines like that too, you know, but just by definition, you can't have two accents next to each other unless there's some kind of pause, I think. I mean, maybe, you know, I, there's a, there's an example I can think of where I feel like there is a true, at least no, but nothing, no one can hear that much of a difference. Something like uh, advised night in church going on some advised night. I always just assumed that he was probably thinking advised or something, but I don't, I don't know why I would think that, but then I heard him say it and he doesn't. So uh, on some advised night, see walking a dead one. And I think it does register as two beats, even though there's no, nothing between them and a pause or another syllable. This is probably totally arid. Actually, I used to belong to a, a writer's group and everybody was pretty conversant with this stuff in some way, you know, but one guy would get up and make a phone call every time meter came up. And he, and he <laughs> like, like, like get up and go make a phone call or, or, or do something to get out of the conversation. So people complain about MFAs as a uh, you know, for, for ruining writers or for creating, really, it's, it's just a pyramid scheme at this point um, that that's, doesn't really go anywhere now. But part of what's really disheartening, I think, about writing poetry as an adult is that, you know, setting aside that there's no money, there's no job, there's no prestige, there's no nothing. There's, it's not even you, like, you have all these people who have MFAs, you have all these people who've gone to school to study poetry, but they don't, it's not, it's not even like a poor, an education in poetry is anything. Like it, it could be, there could be no overlap. There could be like not even remotely any overlap across, you know, half a dozen different schools. Like probably there's certain things you're going to hear like show don't tell or some of these cliches, but like there's not even going to be anything you could refer to. Like anybody who's gone to law school, there's going to be certain common experiences. There's going to be a certain set of shared understanding. You know, this is first year, this is second year. These are the kinds of classes you have to take. This is the kind of stuff you have to know you can operate in a courtroom together with poetry. It's, it's almost like it's all just a different, it could, they could all just be degrees and different. Yeah. You can't even really have a decent conversation about, about like anybody's poetry with most poets who, you know, you encounter who are self-described poets. So you're talking about a level of a uh, basic level of education about poetry that's missing or something among poets. Well, I just know. like, I mean, I, yeah, like, I have some ideas about things that would be nice if you studied when you supposedly study poetry, but I would even like for it to be anything. Like I would like for there to be anything that you had somewhat in common with other people who supposedly studied poetry. Cause it, it truly <laughs> is like an MFA is a useless degree, but it also isn't anything like it, it's not even like a, you know, uh, a degree in chess would be I was just playing chess. Like a degree in chess would be useless, but it would be something. Like an MFA in poetry is what is it? What what does it amount to? Yeah, nothing. I mean, it's just nothing. I mean, I don't. I you know, this morning I was talking to my therapist, like the same therapist I've been talking to for twenty four years. Um, oh, whoa. And, which right. yeah, yeah, it's a long time. It's a long time. I'm, I'm a fucked up person. So uh, I was, you know, talking to him this morning, and I was saying just the same thing, like. What does it mean? What is an MFA? You know, so when I when actually in 1992 or three, when I went to get an MFA, there was, uh, you know, people told me, like my professors told me, well, you'll get a, this is a terminal degree, you'll get a job. You know? <laughs> that, that was, I still don't have a job. I'm right, still waiting yeah. for that. Um, yeah. You know, I, mean, I, I had a job for a while, but it's gone now. Um, right, I had, yeah, yeah. you know, I've had a couple of jobs. I don't know. I mean, 
it certainly it certainly is nothing practical, uh, um, no. except except as in as much as it's you know maybe you have to have some proof that you are part of the club or something and that's it but um, right but i mean but that's that i guess that's what i mean like it's, it's not even like there's any club doesn't mean anything like, yeah. right like having an mfa is like like you have as much in common with other mfas as like people who have been divorced have with each other you're like you went through a thing and you're like well it it was like it was a relief this part sucked it was took this long it was expensive but like, what did what did you come out of it with? Who fuck fuck if I know? Like, it has nothing to do with what he came out of it with. Well, uh, it's weird. The people that I went to graduate school with, uh, or the first time uh, when I went for a, an MFA, the people uh, that I went for, were, you know, poets and there were fiction writers. Yeah. The poets, I I don't know any of them anymore. Uh, the one of them I I know still. Everybody else, <laughs> no. And actually, when we get together. She and I don't really talk about poetry that much. Aside from that, the people that I talk to still are are people from the fiction part of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, most of the people, I don't even think most of the people who were in that program still write poems, or I don't know about it if they do. I mean, maybe they do, but I'm unaware of their books, yeah. if they have books. Or, you know, I think a lot of them were just, and this was Sarah Lawrence, so it was supposed to have some kind of, you know, people seem serious, like they right. seem smart and, and good, but they, sure. they also were, you know, they thought there was something wrong with me for wanting to use meter. And I was just sort of getting into it. Then yeah. everybody who wasn't into it seemed, you know, in this program, a lot of those people really seem to be just not very rigorous in any way, you know, like they just, <laughs> seem to be, they seem to just be just, you know, writing like it could have been emails, you know, or yeah, something. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm not in fear of, of bothering anyone because nobody does it anymore. I don't think I actually, there's one person I can think of Janet Kaplan who does it still. And she's a, a, a worthy, smart and, you know, a person. I haven't seen her in a long time. Not that the other people aren't worthy people, sure, yeah, but yeah, yeah. everybody I'm thinking of doesn't really write anymore. There's one person named Allison who I disappeared for a while, but I think maybe she writes again. I don't know. Okay. My friend, the person who I would call a friend who's was I met in that program is uh, I'm trying to think because I'm afraid that I've now I'm excluding someone that I you know who I think of sure. as a friend and I forgot and I met them there that's really possible like I'm not thinking of it right. that way yeah, yeah. she doesn't really write metrical poetry and nobody I met there did I don't think but yeah. I, I should clarify something which is that I'm not I, there are people who write metrical poetry and rhyming poetry who think that free verse is not legitimate or not real or something right. and I'm yeah, not yeah. one of those people I think maybe most free verse and most verse is not legitimate on some yeah. level, but you know, that's just like, that's just statistically has to be true. I have to make myself clear uh, because people assume that I, Oh yeah. That's, uh, that's a... I was on the radio one time and I had to clarify in the middle of the radio segment that was being recorded. The guy was, a, had read this poem of mine that I made out of headlines about September 11th. And he was sure that it meant that I was a, like a right wing person. And I was, you know, I had to like stop and say, no, I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm not politically conservative or whatever. It was, a, it was uh, KPFK, I think it was, so it was Pacifica, which is a very uh, lefty. So um, was he taking you to task? Was he like, was he, was he indicting you? Was this like a. I think he was trying to avoid doing that, but then he uh. ended up sort of doing it when it became clear that he was assuming that and i said 
uh, no, that's not that's not accurate. But which which I mean, yeah, which even just writing like, in, ver in verse, even writing in meter can can give people that impression uh, that you're political. Yeah, people is, and and you know people make reasonable arguments sometimes that there's a shade of. I mean, a lot of arguments for it strike me as unreasonable. Almost everybody you go to college with is off limits or something. Like they've known you when you were young, and you right. know, so they can't take you seriously. Or my sure, friends, yeah. you know. It's for um, families so in my, some way, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. My college friends are, you know, like, the only interaction I've had with my college friends about my poems were, like, walking into a room and hearing one of them intone one of them in a completely <laughs> mocking, horrible, you know, or coming in one, uh, it was, it was, I was working on a poem and it was in the typewriter, which tells you how long ago it was. And the friend had titled the poem, had typed a title onto the poem. <laughs> it had no title before that. And it was Titty, Titty, Bang, Bang. I was, you know, not even annoyed then. I thought it was funny. It's like, that's that's the only response I've had from my friends from college is like making fun of it, basically. Sure, so. yeah. But that's, I mean, that, which which you, I don't know, I, I, you need that, you know, you need a little deflation, yeah, yeah. deflation from, uh, for, from those who know I, you and love you. Yeah. Poetry is horrible. I mean, it's, you know, like uh, you really have to read the Orwell book, the, the Keith Aspidistra Flaunt. Yeah. Let me just read you something from it. Please, yeah. I'll just read you a short passage, okay? This is from the, the main character is Gordon Comstock, who was a poet between the wars. And he works in a bookstore and he's a socialist and he has a, had a little bit of success. He's had a book. Uh, he, he's been working on a book too called, I forget what it's called. It's so like it's got, you can tell from the title that it's not that good. It's something like London Pleasure or something like yeah, London <laughs> Pleasures. He's obviously smart and has read things and cares about poetry and has like a, a an intelligent kind of critique of the modern world and advertising and stuff. So it follows his composition of a poem in his head and on paper and so on. Uh, so and it's sometimes I really identify with this on page twenty or something. He'll he'll be really excited about it and think it's pretty good you know this is good it's a lot that's really fits it's good and then 20 pages later he absolutely hates hates it <laughs> thinks it's trivial horrible garbage and it's just really funny that i really get off on the um the negative parts actually which is yeah. probably not a good thing but um okay the clock downstairs struck 11. As the first coldness of the sheets wore off, Gordon's mind went back to the poem he had begun that afternoon. He repeated in a whisper the single stanza that was finished. Sharply the menacing wind sweeps over the bending poplars, newly bare, and the dark ribbons of the chimneys veer downward, flicked by whips of air, torn posters flutter. The octosyllables flicked to and fro, click, 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 click. The awful mechanical emptiness of it appalled him. It was like some futile little machine ticking over, rhyme to rhyme, click, 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 like the nodding of a clockwork doll. Poetry, the last futility. He lay awake, aware of his own futility, of his 30 years, of the blind alley into which he had led his life. That's just, you know, that's like a pretty typical passage. Um, no, actually, if I have another book of poetry ever, uh, I'm going to call it um, The Nightingale Strikes Again, I think, uh, which is after a book. It's a, it's a fictional book in a, in a movie called Clooney Brown. I don't know if you know that movie. I don't know. Because no. um, you, you, you had some comment that was sort of cryptic in an earlier email where you said you you would like make a bet that that it would take you longer to come out. Like it was something about how long it would take you to come out with your next book of poetry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was, I know you said you've been doing a lot of like prose writing. 
I have. Um, yeah. Is do you have a apart from your your you know the the general uh, anxiety and and contempt? What are what are your feelings about your own poetry these days? Well, I mean, I'm still writing poems. Uh, I'm just not sending them out, and I don't have that many. And I don't the ones that I have. I mean, I have I, actually that's not true. I have a bunch, um, and I have like probably two thirds of a manuscript or something. But but I'm not. I'm just I'm not sure about it. Things have changed so much uh, in poetry since my book came out like since almost precisely when my book came out that I, that I don't, I'm not sure how to respond to the changes that have happened. And I, I feel like the poems, you know, I feel like there is a response in the poems that I've written, but I just feel weird about it. Uh, Like, I feel like um, I I don't mean to suggest in any way that I'm like, uh, that there's anything kind of critical in my poems about what's going on in poetry, not at all, but I just feel like you can't just keep doing what you, have done right you know right yeah so i think about that a lot I, you know i kind of have done i think you even said something like this in the actually in the review of maury's book um, yeah yeah you mentioned he, he, he does he evolves he evolves or changes in right, right. interesting ways yeah yeah i mean i tend to write sort of deadpan or i think of them that way or maybe other people yeah. just think them as flat i don't know but uh i tend to yeah. you know i tend to write fairly things that seem lucid at least on a first read or something yeah. and so um I think probably a lot of people look at them and think, oh, this is like Norman Rockwell or something, you know, uh, or they see the raw end rhymes and they don't bother with the rest, right, you yeah, know, yeah. hopefully they're layered in some way, but I mean, there, there's also, you know, they they yeah. don't look, they don't look obscure in the way that people expect poetry to be or something like that. So it's uh, I know you've been, I know just from having looked that you're not sending things out. Uh... Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, I mean, I am actually getting ready to send stuff out for the first time. Actually, Shane took a poem of mine. Uh, it'll probably be like a year or something before it's out. But um, yeah, it's a weird poem, probably. For, anybody for like? Yeah, that's it, right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, he correctly inferred that I am not a Christian or not a religious person. Uh, you know that I'm a everything is dead philosophical material <laughs> type of person. Um, and he, you know, he he. He got that. Uh, so, and and uh, that made me happy, but we were talking by email because um, I asked him for a poem actually, because uh, I, uh, I edit poetry for a magazine. It's open, but it's also a weird, it's a weird situation, yeah, yeah, yeah. one poem issue or something. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, and there's a theme usually. So it's like, I saw a poem of his that matched the theme, which is perfect. It was a, it was a poem that he sent out on, I'm sorry, I'm Mr. Circumstantiality. So I apologize. Uh, I will just talk about it whatever comes to my head next, but uh, let me go. So let me go back. Um, he took this poem and it's a kind of poem that people will, if, if one of the four people who likes my poems reads it, they'll, they won't like my poems anymore, but uh, that's okay. It's like, it's a, it's a piece of blank verse and it's, it's, you know, starts with a painting. So it's, it's the culture, you know, cult with a K, you know, um, it's uh so it's maybe it's, I don't know. I, I, I was happy about it. It was the first thing I'd written like four years or something when I wrote it. Um, Good. I wrote it standing in front of a fresco, you know, on my phone, which is the only time I ever did anything like that. I'm not images. Is that all online or is that, is that uh, print as well? Or it's, I, th- I think it's both. Um, okay. I'm just wondering like, if it'll be like easy oh, to oh, refer to the picture. So. Okay. I don't think so. And I don't really necessarily want uh i appended something to the end of it that said where this fresco is because i thought that that seemed like 
Like it seemed weird not to do that because it's sure. a kind of obscure poem otherwise. But right. I also don't really necessarily care if people know this painting or know the fresco. It's a Bronzino fresco in, uh, this is like a friend of mine, George Green, who's a, a, another poet who I, I think is really great. If you don't know his yeah, stuff, you should I do, yeah, stuff. I do, I do know it. Yeah. Uh, um, he talks about like Fulbright poems or sea, you know, like seashell poems too. It's a similar genre, but uh, you know, like you've been to the beach for a week and so you write about seashells. Um, and you know, Fulbright poems, similarly, this was, I was not on a Fulbright scholarship, so it doesn't count technically at least, but I, you know, poems about oh, my trip to Italy or something yeah, are, yeah. are pretty, can be pretty, pretty tiresome, but, um, but it was, you know, I just, it just happened. So uh, I don't expect to write a whole volume of poems, ephrastic poems, which is, I'm so sick of people talking about ephrastic poetry. It is, anyway. it's a, it's a low hit rate as a subgenre. I will say ephrastic right. poems are, yeah. There's some great, I mean, some of my favorites are ecrastic poems, but they're the Bruegel, the um, Musée des Beaux Arts is a great. Oh yeah, that, great I, mean, that I think like the, that the Rilke's Torso and uh, the Ode yeah, yeah. Urn are like I mean that's yeah. three three of my favorite poems, but uh, and two of two, yeah, of them, you, two of them you don't even you don't need to have a reference to it. You don't you know with the Bruegel, it's nice to be able to see the Bruegel, but with the other two, it's it could be any you know. There's another good poem. It's not a, it's not one of my favorite poems, but I'm thinking of. It might be the first poem I ever thought of in relation to the word ekphrastic. Like I, I learned the word ekphrastic from this poem was a poem, the Elizabeth Bishop poem, but it's about the size of a old style postage oh, stamp. Yeah, I can't remember yeah, what it yeah. is. She has, a, she, has, she has large bad painting, but then she also has poem, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, there's, there's also something, there's, there's a genre of poem that is like, it's like an ekphrastic poem, but it's a scene. You know, uh, instead it's a real scene. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, but yeah. it's treated like an interpretive essay almost, or you know, right. like uh, the description is ekphrastic almost, and that, that that appeals to me a lot, also. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, yeah, I, so I'm, yeah, no, I'm 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 eager to see whatever whatever you're doing whenever it uh, whenever it's seeable, because uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, and, and that and that the, the problem of like to you know changing and trying new things without losing track of what it is that you can do as well like that's i'm eager to see how you wrestle with that because i have no idea how to <laughs> wrestle with myself well i don't either i mean i much of the time i mean so when i've been writing poems for the past eight years it's a lot of the time i've spent working on poems has been fruitless and i write yeah. two-thirds of a poem and then i say fuck this shit you know and i and i put it away for uh, maybe forever i don't know and a couple of things i'll come back to and like them but uh it's just hard to write poems for me at the moment and i always have like a you know the word that everybody uses is fallow like a, always sure. i've had two books but i mean after both books i didn't write anything for a couple of years you know i don't know what it is part of it is actually like the most depressing thing about all of it is publicity you know having to do your own i mean actually my current press is comparatively extremely good on that on that front yeah. but it's like uh it's still it's just you still spend your entire for instance my entire summer like addressing books to comp you know lists and stuff you know i'm just i'm just hoping that my publisher gets the book out before i start having readings next month i look forward to reading it i actually yeah, thanks uh at least several poems of yours that i like a lot are not from not from the book that's out because uh, i have well, that I'm, but you're yeah you're you're kind of my model for like the the, the like nine or nine or ten years <laughs> don't do that oh that's a bad <laughs> idea <laughs> i just like i don't yeah I, I i like having enough time between books to be able to like let go of a bunch of poems i feel like if i if i tried to put out a book 
four years later or five years later, I would still be excited about some bad poems. And I like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had time to go. cool on them and, and like, oh, let's let those die. Uh, well, so I try to do something like that, but I also sort of just, I'm just slow actually for the past. Okay. This is how I work for the past uh, eight years, six and a half, seven years, something like that. Um, I've been writing this prose thing. It's extremely long. I haven't felt comfortable enough to send any of it out, uh, you know, and, but some of it I could just publish as poems maybe, you know, I mean, right. I don't know right. if it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. if it's, if it just falls apart and I can't deal with it or something, that's been the plan, but I think it's too gone too far for me to just give up at this point. But um, it's like, uh, it's really like doing an entirely different thing, except oh, yeah. that my, my way of approaching it is to write it as though it were a sonnet, which is really stupid. That is, it's untenable. Like, uh, in other words, I spend, you know, a hundred hours on three sentences yeah, or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. You know, it's, that was the, so it's uh, like, uh, Warren did that with the whole first section of the All the King's Men, I think was written as blank. Oh, verse. really? Like wrote it as a blank verse, like speech. Oh, no, I don't mean that I'm writing it as verse. I mean that I'm no. writing it as though it's, yeah, I'm just writing right. it the like same with that kind of, of, yeah, 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 yeah. That, you know, almost certainly it's foolish, but maybe the result, all of this is foolish, but the result might be, uh, might be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, uh, uh, listening to one of your podcasts, I guess it was the last one, uh, yesterday, you mentioned Elliot, his essay, Minor Poets. Oh, minor yeah, yeah, yeah. What is, what is minor poetry? Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I thought, okay, well, I, I haven't read that. So I went and got it and I read it today. And I thought, oh, what a minor poet is, is me and everyone alive. That's what I thought. <laughs> uh, me and everybody alive, according to, uh, you know, to yeah. this essay. And I, it's not that I disagree even necessarily. Right. No, yeah. You, know, that, like, yeah. I, uh, you can't judge. That's his thing is you can't judge, but it's like, uh, you know, I mean, you can't judge your contemporaries, but, but it could, it, I could, I feel like I could, you know, I feel like I could judge my, <laughs> you know, my contemporaries. I feel like you could judge everybody if Shakespeare and Milton are the only, you know, like the only very right, great yeah. poets. You know, yeah, it's hard to imagine that anybody, you know, like, oh, I, well, I certainly am. I am perfectly happy to be a, a minor poet if I can just write a couple of things that people think are, are good. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm happy yeah, to yeah, do yeah. that. Uh, that, to me, that's the distinction between um, between like there are only a handful of poets who are indispensable, but the goal is if if not that, the goal is to be irreplaceable. You haven't necessarily made like one of the great works that everybody needs to read, no matter what, but you've made something that nobody else has made and that is has value in its own. You know, my question then, because someone I do want to maybe do an episode on that essay is like there needs to be if if major poet is that restrictive and it makes some sense to me to say like well there's like homer dante you know shakespeare and like let's leave it let's make it a small shelf in in the um in uh dante in the underworld it's like a it's like a circle of like six guys <laughs> like yeah, yeah. that's it and i think yeah. if that's major poet and minor poet is is you know any but almost any other poet you can think of that you admire there needs to be a sub minor poetry category like because yeah. i think like it takes a lot to where are we? right no right like, <laughs> yeah. like you have to, to like reach the level yeah. to yeah. reach the level of minor poet is a is an achievement and i feel like there's that's yeah. you know just you just to call everybody a minor poet it feels like that, that in a way like that diminishes it like no like a minor poet is like a notable poet who is not a major poet there's something else right, below right. that yeah poetaster or so yeah wooden yeah, yeah. poet or yeah something amateur maybe that's what an amateur is i don't know the thing I always say to, like, when I was teaching, I would say to my students, I would, you know, like, if you look at the 
you know, how many poets are in the Norton anthology of English literature, you know, or English poetry, you know, it's like, what, I don't know, a hundred and hundred or so, I don't know how many, but uh, lot, yeah. not, not, it's a lot, but it's, you know, not for the number of poets, you <laughs> right, know, yeah. it's, I mean, like, yeah. you know, there are 150 people published every week in, you know, contemporary poetry, and they're yeah, all supposed yeah. to be brilliant, you know, that's what, I used to work at Poets and Writers, I think that the thing that I understood working there was that, like all you have to do is say a name and there's supposed to be some any name is sounds like a poet's name it's like a famous poet you know there would be these lists of names as faculty at rinky dink conferences or whatever and you're supposed to you know just the fact that they're there and their name is there even if they you've never read a book of theirs there's supposed there's something about it that's like everybody is just by virtue of being in poetry Poets and Writers Magazine is somehow supposed to be, you know, that's elevated to some yeah, level. Yeah. There's a similar phenomenon, which is that people will publish anywhere and talk about it like publishing there is a big deal. Right. You know, like, right. oh, yeah. I got published in, I told you this, my wife and I have this, you know, like a, a joke journal, like uh, Dancing Leprechaun Press right. or whatever yeah. that we make up now. But people still talk about it and list it and post about it on social media as though it were... An accomplishment, and so it doesn't. The accomplishment part of it aside, you know, who cares? It's also like so good. I'm glad you've got to publish, but what does it mean if there's like no review process at all, and there, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Like fourteen people reading it? It's bad for them. I, I mean, I feel honestly like I often feel that way about presses that have that do have a notable reputation. So they feel like, well, in many cases, it doesn't necessarily recommend your poem that you got in there. Like I. It, yeah, let alone, you know, Jim's Basement a magazine, or, you know, but I got off Facebook because it felt like this all the time. And then when it, when I ventured onto Twitter a little bit with the Sleerigans account, and it, it does feel like there's a, there's something like really sad to me about lots of, and like good, lots of good people and good poets with just sort of posting, like, I, I got accepted here, I got accepted there, I got it. And, and I understand it because it also, it feels sort of, there's su such a futility with like sending things out and getting, even getting published. And then, you know, I got a contributor's copy of a thing today. And I thought, oh, this is kind of nice. Like I have two copies in my bookshelf. I have, can't imagine where any other copy will be, will go ever to anybody, you know? It, yeah. it might as well just be published for me. Uh, well, I should be clear, you know, I don't, it's, it's interesting to read that Elliot because he talks a lot about anthologies and, and also a little bit about magazines and, yeah. you know, like I'm not, you know, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to piss on small magazines, which are, which are completely indispensable in poetry land, you know, but uh, who else would publish poems if not for small magazines, yeah. you know, the New Yorker and, you know, uh, the Atlantic and, you know, but that's, you know, nobody gets in the, Does the Atlantic 23 years. Do they like Atlantic one Yorker. poem anymore? Do they, I, I don't feel yeah, like I've I seen think it. so. Maybe, okay. maybe they don't. I don't know. But I, as far as I know, they do. I mean, okay. I haven't been sending poems out. I know so, they but, did um, for a while, but yeah. I've never been in there. I, I was in, I, the first time I sent to the New Yorker, I sh obviously should not have the first 11 times I sent to the New York, I should not, I didn't, I didn't send to them all the time, but you know, at a certain point, it's like, it's just, it's just, uh, I forget which one it is, Gresham's Law or so, I can't remember which one it is, but you know, there's just no way even to be noticed, right. you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like unless you're already famous or something. And Alice Quinn used to say she didn't solicit, you know, that it was all, I would see her on editor's panels and she would make it sound like she was just 
taking stuff off of the slush pile, but you have to know that that's not true. You know, no. I'm sorry. Which, this I, which is I, like, I, I respected Deborah Treisman for, for saying when asked that about how do you submit to the, cause she was, is the fiction editor and, and her, you know, when asked like, well, would, cause they do take unsolicited submissions of stories at the New Yorker. And she says, well, this, well, how do you pick those? And what is the criteria and what, what are the criteria? And her response was, oh, have your agent send it. Like her response was basically like the slush pile is a placebo slush pile. It is nothing. It is nobody reads it. It is not, nothing leaves that pile. It's just a, we just three months later, somebody will automatically send you a rejection. Like that's which, like, I, I appreciate that. I, you know, I, I wish there were yeah. a more, more candor. among. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I wish too. Uh, it's, it's certainly everybody a lot of the time. I mean, I keep thinking that like, okay, it's been a long time since I've sent anything out because I was trying to learn how to write fiction or whatever and then right. then i realized oh well actually when i do send stuff out it's going to be a year before i find out you know uh, yeah. i mean it was actually the first poem i ever got accepted anywhere was at a magazine called pequod which was like a decent magazine okay, at, yeah, uh, I've heard of that. Yeah. you i don't know if it still exists um but it was accepted by the editor you know like in a workshop i was in like the first workshop i was ever in actually that, that now that sounds totally pompous i don't mean it to, i'm just saying i'm just I saying like i don't I, yeah. I really really was not i that was a mistake and I, i'm not even going to say what it's called because i don't want anybody to find it right. but um it was in there and or it was accepted and i was very happy of course and i remember calling the guy who was the editor and him saying well you shouldn't worry so much about publication and i was like yeah that's easy to say if you're not yeah 20 years old or whatever if you're not you know i'm trying to you know you can't you can't talk to young people sure. about this stuff they they don't listen so uh, and i was one of those um and i was very excited about it and it was like i forgot like i forgot about it uh, it was years and yeah. years um i thought that there was a mistake i lost touch with the person and it was before the internet you know so i like i, yeah. but I was like okay well i guess this, i would go to barnes and noble and look at the issues and it was never in there you know it was years and it was, it was finally it was it must have been five or six years a friend of mine called me up and said there's a poem by you in this magazine i was like what so that was that was my first acceptance not my first publication because in the meantime i had had something else taken but then the sewanee review took a poem or took a couple of poems after a year it took them a year and i queried and they looked at them, I guess, and took a couple of poems. And then it was six years before they came out. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. So it was like the same thing for both of them. Yeah. It was a very, very long time. I mean, I'm happy to have been in there, but it was a very long time. And I guess it was, there was a huge backlog or something of poems that they had yet that they accepted at the time. So I think it was a weird situation, but. Well, well, uh -huh. Eric Smith, who I know listens to this and was texting me this afternoon. J this is just to let you know, Joshua Megan has a batch of unpublished poems. Solicit some poems from him because he, he's, oh, he's got- Oh, some... you, you're serious. I thought you were kidding. No, oh, that's no nice. Eric Smith uh, is the poetry editor of the Swanee Review. And he, yeah. I didn't, uh, I, I know his name, but I didn't know that he was, uh, I didn't know. I, he... He's, a, he's a, a, a friend. He used to live here and um, uh, he's a, a a very patient because I, I tease him sometimes on the show but he's a very patient uh and, and loyal listener but no i mean I, i'm letting him know because i, I know right. he's always looking for good poems and people who listen to this uh uh, uh podcast i think they're you have a, a higher proportion than maybe among like uh, uh poetry magazine readers who will who will oh. be interested well I, I that's nice to think uh yeah. i don't know i mean i have like i don't know how many but it's not it's not like some huge <laughs> you know <it's, laughs> you, may, you like, may run out quicker than you think or, yeah. 
or little Joe Gould than Emily Dickinson or something, you know, you know, the yeah, little Joe Gould that there was, a, there's actually a poem uh, by uh, Cummings about him. It was a, this guy, this kind of Lower East Side character that was kind of crazy, talked to himself and always had like a stack of crumpled papers and was always in bars scribbling and they were all friendly with him or something. I'm probably getting it slightly wrong, but um, they were all friendly with him and then they, but he would never let anybody see his great work, you know, his Ulysses or whatever. And yeah. then he died and there was nothing. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. It's probably more like my situation, probably more like that than Emily Dickinson, that's all. But uh, it's not nothing, but it's, you know, it's not like some huge treasure trove of great poems or something. That's somehow stranger and better than if it were like all work and no play makes Jack a little boy, boy or, or just like something bad that was, you know, because you'd expect it to be just sort of some some kind of mess, but if it's literally nothing, that's kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, I think it was literally nothing. So who are your favorite poets? That's a ridiculous question, but on yeah. purpose. I mean, there, there are the favorites and then there are those I, like I don't read Hausman and Larkin for pleasure anymore because it's too close and it's too infectious, you know, right. but clearly uh -huh. I, I love both of them a great deal. And I return, I mean, weirdly one of the, collections of poetry I return to over and over again and always have mixed feelings about is the sonnets, the Shakespeare sonnets. I, I, so I, I do spend a lot of time with those. I love uh, Horace, whom I can't read really, but I love- What's your uh, favorite sonnet, your favorite Shakespeare sonnet? It's a silly question on purpose. Oh, 73. I mean, I think I think 1873 and 116 are for me the the, like maybe the best um 73 is uh that is, is uh, that, that time of year that means to me behold yeah, that's, that's great yeah. that's great that's uh, yeah and 116 i this is really uh, let me not to the marriage of true minds let me not let me, our, not, let me not sorry let me not the marriage of true minds admit impediments love is not love which alters when it alteration finds or bends with a remover to remove etc yeah i ha i have it too uh we had it at our wedding and yeah. it was our, um, which I know is cheesy, but whatever. Right. Um, Fuck, it's uh, Shakespeare, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's great, but it's like, you know, it's really better than any wedding, you know what I mean? But it's, a, I think it's a great, great, I think that's like, that's that's in the running for me too. That one is like yeah. just phenomenal, especially the within his bending sickles, compass, come that yeah, line yeah. is amazing. Um, but then not to say the obvious, Continually. And I also love uh, when in disgrace with fortune in men's eyes. Uh, but I also yes. think a lot of them, a lot of them are not that great. And no, you know, somebody like, some bad ones. Yeah. Voice, like uh, if you're looking for Shakespeare, people say there's no juvenilia. And he would say, you know, look at Richard the third, which is probably true in some way or. Yeah, the, play, the plays are uneven. There's some, you know, they're strong spots, and, there, spots. and the sonnets are very uneven. In, in the sonnets. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Like and you see, you see him like reusing not like exactly like he'll reuse pairs of rhymes and even like constructions and you know, you can see he's like it's like he's he's laying down versions and then sometimes he gets it just so and then sometimes it's like oh, a little like i actually think like i think of like, i was talking to a guy last night about 30 because 29 I, I i love when in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes and then 30 is very similar in that it's a list of woes followed by Ah, but then there's you. But in 30, which has a wonderful beginning, right? Which is um, when do the sessions of Sweet Silent Thought, it mm -hmm. ends in this really sort of dinky anticlimactic way that just feels like, well, that's not quite enough of a Volta. <laughs> you know, but you see it as like, it's it's clearly paired with 29. And then of course, like the first 15, 15 is actually really lovely. Um, The first, however many are all sort of like Breathe, versions breathe. of the same, yeah, yeah the same yeah. basic idea. Um, That's part of why I love that collection, I go back to it, is that you see 
you see a work in progress as well as seeing some of the greatest poems ever written. And, and we, when I, I think Alice was in the Brooklyn Poets Song class and, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, that was a really good class. Uh, it was fun. But one of the things that I, I always say to these classes that like the couplets are, if you try to memorize, especially those, think about those sonnets, like when I brush up on one of the first 10 sonnets or whatever the breeds, you know, uh, often I will say the wrong couplet yeah. because they're kind of interchangeable. Just, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Or, or I'll, 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 I mean, sometimes I'll even do like the, the, uh, they're not, it's not properly an octave and a sesta, but I'll, I'll, I'll like the first chunk, the first eight lines and the, and the last six lines, I'll, or I'll do like the, the first eight lines from one poem and then four, because for a while I tried to memorize them. I, I got to 30, but like, if I didn't, if I, like when I wasn't totally on my game, they would all just smear together into a waterfall. Right. I mean, yeah. I did the first 10, I try to do programmatically, you know, yeah. like I was going to keep going yeah, and yeah. I stopped after 10 because I realized that it was, would be a nightmare. But do you know, right. Joey Franz, is that no. his last name? Franz? I, I he's a, know. he was at Johns Hopkins, the MFA program. He seemed like a truly brilliant guy. He memorized the whole thing. I think he may have not kept it up, but he memorized the whole thing. That's admirable. Uh, I guess, I mean, it's, you know, if you can do that and, it's not a problem for you, but um, I think he has lots of other stuff memorized. I think because so many of them are so similar, and because they're they're a bunch that are not great. I think I I, I think like Aaron Pachigian probably had it better, which was he just did all of uh, Keats's odes. Yeah, that's uh, a good I, idea. You know, there are fewer fewer duds in that. Which, but again, like that's part of what's what makes Shakespeare what he is. The you know the 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 Johnson line about the two kids in the bar saying, I, I heard he never struck a line. And Johnson said, would that he had struck yeah, a thousand or, you know, uh, that, but that's, that's part of what's great about him is that he's brave or bored or impatient enough just to keep going, you know? And so he, he yeah. leaves in a bunch of draws sometimes, but then he, he, then he gets to the next thing and it's amazing. And whereas my tendency is always to, to like go back and torture myself over the first two lines that sucked. Oh, you're not so much with the, the plays, but uh, uh, obviously, but uh, I mean, some of them are, you know, better and some are worse, but yeah. it's like, like, I think, yeah, like, I mean, I think the like they're, play, there's genius in the in the worst plays, I think. I don't know. Oh, no. Oh, well, no, there, that's, that's like, there is genius. And like, I read um, Ant Antony and Cleopatra a few years ago for the first time. And it's, it feels like, I mean, it's, they are amazing, but they're, like there's so many plays that are amazing but like that's that's an example of one that feels like it has it has like two concepts of a play in there and they're if you had sort of picked a tone for for it's never a waste of time there's never nothing there there's there's almost always something amazing there but often it doesn't quite all hold together or the the little coincidences and the little symmetries feel chintzy instead of feeling well-timed and and poignant or or like in hamlet you can kind of like laugh off and and get into the spirit and just sort of blow through the whole pirate ship thing which is ridiculous oh, yeah. but in but then in other in other plays it feels like what is all this contrivance what is what are we doing here what which is your favorite one i mean i know oh, that the that's plays a hamlet. question it's very boring i have very boring taste hamlet yeah i love it oh, I just, no, that's I've, pretty great I've done it a couple really times and that. i've read it a bunch of times and i taught it and it just yeah i mean it's I, I love it. It's also, it's one of the most perfect plots. Uh, not, I mean, there, there's some weirdness in the plot, uh, but, but the, the triple symmetry of, of um, 
of uh, sons avenging fathers is so beautifully built that it's yeah I, I, what did you play in it was it were you hamlet i was hamlet as like a 15 year old um yeah uh, and then something else and some other production yeah uh i mean insane. it wasn't i mean it was a it was like we didn't do we trimmed it down some because it was teenagers and it was not good <laughs> but i did a bunch of i did i, I acting and and theaters my other the other part of my life uh yeah it's, it's, uh, i, I want to go back and just spend more time with him because it's been a little while since i i need to stop reading other stuff and only read him for a while but yeah sorry what were you gonna say no i, I feel the same way i haven't read uh play in a while actually i just read uh well or i just saw king lear so king lear with david yesi in it the, the oh which I, yeah the, I, I heard i heard uh, about um i heard that was very good uh, it's a, like an insane thing to do i think if you have any other kind of life you know but um right. it's uh yeah that's my favorite play that is like uh, oh yeah that, it's, it's uh it's just it's like the thing another thing elliot is in my head there are particular things in it that are just direct hits just you know like yeah, wrath yeah, yeah. and vanity or direct direct hits in my yeah, in my yeah, life yeah. my family uh in my life um yeah, yeah, yeah. and so, so i'm sort of obsessed with with everything in it like every moment of that place like an yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. you do have a dark vision of the world <laughs> like, you, do, like, yeah. you know i also love the world and i you know and i you know i i'm not suicidal i'm not a nihilist i really do i mean i i love a lot of things i have a friend so I was complaining about Seamus Heaney, actually. Uh, yeah. I, was complaining, I was complaining about his diction, and, and I, I don't like something about his diction often. You know, I, I, I have lots of respect for Seamus Heaney. I don't, you know, uh, but a friend was like, you don't like anything. You don't like anything. And I thought, so I thought, I'm going to make a list of the things I like. And I gave up because there are too many things. I mean, I really do love yeah. the, the tremendous amount of things in the world. I just don't, I don't necessarily like the same things that, other people do i don't know i have weird tastes i guess but we're old-fashioned taste or we're like you say old-fashioned now that to me is upsetting but okay. a, a thought as a thought no no there's a poet priscilla becker and i was you know just like friendly with her i think she's left the city or this is a pandemic has fucked everything up but uh i was talking with her at some point and she she used a term a term like that in my first book and i was horrified and then i looked at it and i was like okay i understand why she's saying this um also just rhyme seems old-fashioned to everybody but sure, uh yeah. mostly meter people can't hear unless it's like a tetrameter or two i mean people can't if there's rhyme but if it's blank first a lot of people don't oh, they, really, it goes oh, yeah it goes right over the um, heads yeah yeah george george's george green's mm -hmm. whole book is almost the whole book is blank first there's, I think there's one rhyming poem in it and uh, he was afraid that that people would you know that people would be bothered by the meter and i kept no. saying i don't think so i don't think anybody really except for a lot of people a lot of people who write metrical poetry will say what well, like, well i you don't hear it the whole time you know like if you're a shakespeare play you don't hear it the whole time and i say, yeah no i do actually and i don't think there's anything weird about that i don't yeah, think it's you, i don't I have dog ears or anything yeah. i think you, you hear, just have you to... hear like like you hear like the beat in a song where you like you know of, often like my experience is that you know when it when it falls out like when it drops yeah yeah i, I mean do, I, I also though know, get made fun of by formal people for writing we're having too too rigorous a meter and ryan makes fun of me for that when i first started um learning meter and of course that's everybody has to do that now it's not like you're raised in it you know no. so everybody has to learn it and i know that when i first started learning it, i know that many students i've had who were just learning it 
can't stop thinking about it. So they're emphasizing it inwardly the whole time they're reading, you know, they're singing, you know, uh, my heart aches and a drowsy numbness pains my senses, you know, my senses though, it's a very, I think it's a very particular experience that dates to now, you know, maybe a very particular experience of meter, maybe, maybe it was always the case, but I think if you're 13 and you have this stuff in your head, maybe that's when it happens. It's right. not when you're 35. So everybody's learning this stuff at a late age and you know, maybe, maybe they can't see that they're, you know, they can't see that it's modulated. They don't drill themselves in the same way to the point where they can do it. You know, they can, they can do, they can do a loose version of it. And that's, you know, there's something to be said for that often. Like, I think, I, I think, uh, like, what's the, the Auden thing with the, um, uh, uh, epitaph on a tyrant, um, oh, right. yeah, loose, yeah, 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 yeah. Like sensual five beat yeah. line or whatever. I think that's, you know, some really great poems have been written in looser lines or yeah, even yeah. lines with an ambiguous number of beats or, you know, and that's a lot, a lot of Elliot is that, you know, the friend of mine that I mentioned before, Michael Slip, who is a, really a brilliant guy and who is, he translates mostly Hungarian poetry really amazingly, although he doesn't really try to publish it usually. Uh, and he does like exact verse, you know, analogous verse, uh, you know, it's not, I forget exactly. I don't, rem I don't, I'm not an expert in Hungarian prosody, but I think they have I'm a pentameter um, or not I'm a pentameter, but you know, uh, decasyllabic lines okay. that maybe yeah, yeah. where maybe where beats are counted i can't remember i'm i, sh I ought to know this you'd probably be mad at me if you heard me say this but uh you know so he'll but he'll translate a sonnet into you know and he'll translate a i gather it's easier to rhyme probably in hungarian and he'll translate a, a you know a petrarchan sonnet into a petrarchan sonnet in in english and it's it's good you know it's it's very very good and it's you know it's like it's shocking not that many people yeah. can do that you no. know he was writing he he would bring some of his poems to a workshop and a couple of people in this workshop or not workshop sorry writers group so it was not a workshop it was right. a bunch yeah. of people with books out and so on and people would say this is like doggerel and we were fascinated by the fact that people were using the words doggerel to mean something that does scan and rhyme you know because they're hearing it it is sing-songy, which is the word I hear over and over again that makes me want to strangle myself. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Chimey, you know, sing-songy, chimey is what everybody says about rhyme. Well, that's just because you're not you're not used to it or something. So doggerel, I understand that it was they, 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 they just meant that they didn't like it, but it was specifically like it, what triggered that term for them was that it was rhyming and it was in meter. Yeah, and this is these are people who are highly educated and 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 smart and good writers and understand how to write in meter uh, but the, but it was just like you're doing it too well so it's doggerel and but they just meant unserious uh, verse right. or something i mean you can see the connection but it's just a very strange value inversion you know that was my conversation with joshua megan he is, again, the author of Accepting the Disaster and The Optimist. He edits poetry at Root Quarterly. And he is also, I should mention, on Twitter. I think his name, his, I think his handle is just his name. Yeah, his, his handle is just at Joshua Mehegan, uh, M-E-H-I-G-A-N. Uh, I, I know he hates, he hates Twitter with a, with a fiery, intensity, but he also spends a fair amount of time on there. So you may find him if you go looking. 
thanks so much for listening. You can reach me as always at sleericketts at gmail.com or at sleericketts on Twitter, where uh, I or, or one of the many people who handle that account will be glad to say something uh, tart in reply to whatever it is you have on your mind. Oh, I do hope to see a couple of you at the, the Alan Shapiro reading an interview tomorrow at 6 p.m. at Flyleaf Books. And with any luck, I will be speaking to you all again very soon. Until then. Thank <laughs> you.